This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. All right, folks, filmmaker and actor Matt Mickelson and I are at it again, and it is television, the final frontier. These are the adventures of two film and TV nuts, and of course our producer Bob Small, who are crazy about talking film and television shows. So Matt, we are boldly going on radio to, t- to talk about what no man has talked about before. And this is, are you ready? British television today. I mean, maybe maybe they've done it before. I just like saying the Star Trek line. Hello. <laughs> Watching the Queen's television. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Or something. So, Matt, welcome to Center Stage again. Thank Not you to for take having a line me. from Forrest Gump. You know, I've had so many supportive comments from our listeners and individuals here at the radio station about our TV series shows. I mean, we've done two. Oh, and really? Everybody has loved them. I oh, love it. Oh, good. I like it too. It, it brought all of it to think about our own choices and, and recollections and joy about all our favorite shows, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So last time we met, we were talking about everything from um, Airwolf to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Knight Rider, not a good actor. Hey, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, we got I mean, close, though. We okay, right that's the, our next right show. Right in the area. No, Knight got Rider? It. No, we're going to do a whole show about TV series around cars. Oh, no. Okay. No, we can include film, of course. We'll look at the Fast and the Furious and, you know, all the rest. Yes, Americans <laughs> are very good drivers. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so today we're going to tackle the British shows. I mean, we've got a bevy of choices out there, don't we, Matt? Well, I, I, I think I think we should be thinking about why are British shows so darn good. Well, let's talk about that. Okay, because that's what filmmaker. baffles me. Yeah. You know, uh, when you watch British shows, they're they're uh, they're. You just get the idea that they've spent a lot more money. They took a lot more time to really think about what they were doing, and they are just good quality productions. Once you get past the accent, mm-hmm. you know, as an American, you know, you watch enough Downton Abbey, then all of a sudden you can hear all the stuff they're saying. But the first that two episodes, you might miss half the stuff because mm-hmm. they're like, "What are they saying?" Well, put your phone down and pay attention, and you know, maybe maybe you'll find that out. would help. But we also have to put on the subtitles. That does help us through an episode. Oh, really? I even mm-hmm. tried that. Okay. Oh yeah, it it does. It does. It works. <laughs> and, you know, when I'm watching Shetland, which is this fabulous series I love, mm-hmm. set in the Shetland Islands, and here we are in the most remote place in the U.K., and nothing happens there except, of course, all these murders. And leave it to, to <laughs> Detective Inspector <laughs> Perez to figure it out, you know? One of my friends from Scotland says... You watch Shetland? Why would you watch that boring stuff? Nothing ever happens in Shetland. And I'm like, no, no, no. On this TV series, it's fabulous. Yeah, and half these, the town gets murdered. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and these panoramas of this beautiful country, but so isolated and so kind of weird. You mm-hmm. know, there's a grittiness. Uh, yeah. Kind of different from the Downton Abbey. But when I watch Shetland, I've got to turn on those subtitles, baby. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. They've got a big brogue going on. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Is it like close mm-hmm. to Scotland or something like that? Very where it's much really so. thick? Ah. In fact, they're so far north that they're actually equal to Norway. Oh, wow. So you get a lot on the show, a lot of storylines where, you know, the Norwegians come over and do naughty things. And so <laughs> it's, it's just a boat right away. Oh, okay. I love it. I love it. Interesting. So let's talk about the production values of British television. Yes. Because you're the expert here, really. Well, I mean, uh, my, my, my daughter got very into Sherlock and, and uh, you know, we got Netflix and all that stuff. And then they have a bevy of all these BBC shows. Mm-hmm. And also uh, a, bevy. 
Uh, that means a lot. And um, so I was just astounded by how well the show was done. I thought it was a movie. I didn't know it was a show. Yeah, exactly. At first. And exactly. she's like, you want to watch another one? I'm like, there's more? You yeah. Know? So, and, um, and just watching, uh, you know, uh, Cumberbatch blow through three pages of dialogue like so like fast. it's water you yeah. know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but the production value see see we do like 12 to 20 episodes of a show say law and order or something mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a season and and what they do is they do three shows for sherlock but they take the same budget and just pour it into three shows as opposed to 20 so mm-hmm. instead of getting 20 eh, okay episodes you get three mini movies Actually, because yeah. they're over an hour and a half long, right. which, yeah. you know, past 90 minutes, that qualifies as a, a feature film. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so the, they're putting tons of money and none of the actors are taking a big chunk. So like in an American movie, you know, Tom Cruise might get a ridiculous amount of movie to do a $200 million film. Mm-hmm. And they only have $100 million left to actually make the movie. Um, but here, uh, they, they don't really have that pay structure, and all the money goes into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see it. It's there. It's in the writing. It's in the, the beautiful sets, the way they took time to mm, I edit it. The, I mean, a lot – you know, this stuff takes time. Um, and a lot of it's amazing. And Sherlock's not the only one. So you, you have uh, The Bodyguard. Correct. Um, which was a six-part series. That's correct. Um, and Winner uh, of many awards. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, one of those actors was in uh, Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. He plays the manager that That's doesn't correct. treat him well. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing. You know, they, they just took a really simple story and, and just, you know, uh, really took it in directions that, that uh, we wouldn't – an American uh, writing team, I don't think, would have thought to mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. Also, um, uh, my one of my new favorites, uh, Killing Eve, which oh, uh, yes. Margaret Cho. Um, Sandra O. Oh. Sandra O. Oh. Sandra yeah, O. Oh, and fault. Jody Comer, who just won the Emmy the other day. Exactly. Night. And um, Jody uh, is, is amazing because um, you have this Breaking Bad element in this show. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. In Breaking Bad, a good guy turned into a bad guy. But in this show, you have a good guy turning into a bad guy and a bad guy turning into a good guy crossing That's sections in each other's lives and, and it's kind even of it's, morphing they yeah. become obsessed with each other yeah and the whole notion of Jodie Comer as the russian assassin you know it's so fabulous to me when an assassin is a woman especially one that's beautiful and loves great clothes but and also she, when they enjoy their work a little bit too much exactly so the way she loves to look into the eyes of her victims as they die and the light goes mm-hmm. out of their eyes. I mean, really, Matt Mickelson, this is so creepy. Well, and she said that they don't, it's not like their souls leave. It's like they sink into themselves. And that was a super creepy thing that, that and they go into wow. this stuff in this show. They really get into the heads of these people, which is so interesting. And you end, you end up rooting for the bad guy That's and right. not liking the good guy, <laughs> which, know. which is another, Way that it, that the the writing messes with you as a viewer. You know? That's the premise, really. That Sandra O oh becomes like the bad the bad guy. Well, she but doesn't we become it. a bad guy. She just becomes morally flexible. You know, <laughs> which is usually <laughs> what what the army says when when uh, they want to turn you into an assassin. We just need people that are morally flexible and that can shoot. That so <laughs> I love it. 
Oh, my God. All right, let's go back just a little bit to Downton Abbey, mm. which you brought up first. So I don't know a person alive, actually, in my circle of friends who has not seen even, you know, you know uh, one episode or all of them. I mean, they're, they're fantastic. Everything about Downton Abbey, one of the most expensive series ever made. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so interesting how they've taken this almost soap opera kind of situation. And with this historical accuracy and made it really work. I mean, we're fond of that to the point of being obsessive. I mean, I I got to see the movie recently and and, uh, I was amazed at how involved the audience was. You know, it was like seeing Star Wars back in 1980 or 1977 because every time there was something funny, everyone in the theater laughed. Every time there was something surprising, everyone in the theater gasped or made a little comment or something like that. They were really enjoying themselves and it was mm-hmm. packed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't seen that in years, you know, yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. a moviegoer. Because, um, you know, you're used to seeing these people on your television. You're used to being able to pause it. Go up, get a snack, or play on your phone while you're half watching the show, or whatever. But to be immersed in it in a dark room in a communal situation where you're with 200 other people, it's a different experience altogether. Which I highly recommend, of course. But it's so much better than having all the interruptions and you know just all the other things that happen at home. And and plus, you know that's developed into kind of a bad thing where people you know act like they're still in their living rooms when they're at a movie theater, and you got to ask them to go. But that is too bad. Bad behavior in the movie theaters is high on my list of of the don'ts right now. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, it's really annoying. But but that you know they don't look like they they spent a ton of money um, to make the movie mm-hmm. beyond the actual show, but mm-hmm. there, there were a couple extra you know jib shots and you know aerial shots and stuff like that that they broke out a drone or something like that. And <laughs> but but they still pretty much stayed to task. It, it looked. The same, and there was a little bit more clever story development, a few more characters, but their quality was so high on the show, they didn't have much farther to go. And again, so sumptuously, beautifully shot. You know, apparently, I was reading some trivia bits about Downton Abbey. You know, the the cast complained that the costumes they use are so fabulous, but they can't be cleaned. And apparently it gets a little smelly on set. They can't be cleaned? They can't be cleaned. They're, because they're historic clothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this historical oh, okay. clothing yeah. cannot be really, you know, dry cleaned. Or what, I mean, I suppose they do the best they can. Ew. Yeah, I know. It's kind of... <laughs> and I also didn't realize that when they're filming the staff, you know, down mm-hmm. under, so to speak... Mm-hmm. That's actually on a soundstage. Oh, it is? Yeah, because apparently the servants' quarters at Highclere Castle were really in bad shape, and they really couldn't bring it together. Oh, so okay. all of those are in our soundstage. Interesting. I thought that was kind of I interesting. Know I know. Isn't that fun? And did you also know that Gillian Anderson from The X-Files, mm-hmm. you remember? Mm-hmm. Scully. She was offered the part of Cora in oh. the beginning. <laughs> Now, she could have been fantastic, too, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and the the lead in, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Elizabeth McGovern? Yeah, yeah. Her first big gig was uh, Ordinary People. That's right. With uh, Timothy Hutton back in like 1980, She was so young. She was so beautiful. That was Robert Redford's first directorial thing. Correct. For which he won the Oscar. Exactly. Exactly. Um, It's funny you should bring Gillian Anderson, though, because she was in an English-made 
thriller yeah, on uh, uh, Netflix, maybe? Or? That's right. She was. Yeah. Well, because she didn't want to refuse another British movie. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> that might have been a bad decision. And speaking of which, you know, we, um, Bob and I were talking earlier about The Crown, which I think is extraordinary. Also very well done. Yeah. So compelling, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And you know Claire Foy, when she took the job as playing the queen, Mm -hmm. she just had a baby. She's out filming for the first day. Yeah. She was having a horrible day, and she turned to her husband and said, you know, maybe I shouldn't have taken this job. I mean, can you imagine? (laughs) This has just catapulted her to superstardom. Yeah. I mean, not that she wasn't a great actress, but really. I mean, these shows are are, are equivalent of Star Trek. I mean, they're, they're going to maintain these people for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and, yeah. and Downton, there, there's already talk about another film in the works. Well, I mean, that's the whole idea with with uh, you know movies. If it makes money, you make another one, mm-hmm. whether it was good or not. You but know. in this case, man, I mean, we've talked about this before in sequels being so poor. But in this case, don't you think it will be perpetually fantastic? But it's not a sequel. It's it's a continuation of life. No, uh, of the show. I mean, yeah. it, it's a it's a TV show, but it, they wow. happen to put one in the movie theater. It's still the same show. Wow. You know. Wow. Um, so you can't really think of it as a movie, I don't think, because because it's already got a built-in audience. Yeah, that's you know? true. And that's, yeah. and my my big uh, gruff with this is is that. Uh, you know, they gave the audience exactly what they wanted, exactly uh-huh. what they were expecting, and they were thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> no subverting expectations hey. or, or you know, hey, uh, you know, Disney, take a cue. You exactly. Know, give the Star Wars fans what exactly. they want and they will love you. <laughs> and of course, you have to bring up <laughs> Star Wars. And give you all their money. <laughs> <laughs> but they made, made they made the Downton Abbey thing, you know, I mean, there's a lot of love in that. And they're not, they didn't release Downton Abbey thinking, ooh, we're going to make oodles of money. No, they didn't. You know, they didn't just think like, it was oh, hey, work. we should uh, do another one. That'd be cool, right? In fact, you know? <laughs> Julian Fellows, who wrote this and created it, he really used American um, uh, situation dramas as his template. Mm-hmm. He was looking at things like Chicago Hope and 30-something where uh, there were a lot you of storylines. You mean story when lines. they first started? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so he kind of used that thinking, but he didn't think it would cross the water so successfully. Yeah. And so, and look what's happened. Well, I, when I first uh, ran into it, my, my mother-in-law uh, had the DVD set and gave it to us. And it sat on the shelf for two years. And then one winter day, we're like, should we watch this? You know, it's a soap opera or something <laughs> from Britain. Oi, you know. <laughs> and after two episodes, we're like, you know, my, my wife and my two kids were all on the couch going, oh, let's play another one. You know? <laughs> you know, who knew? You know, I'm not a soap opera guy. You know, you know, one of my favorite episodes of Downton is right at the beginning. Of course, they touch on so many things. But when Mary takes as her lover, Mr. Pamuk, the Turk, <laughs> and he dies yeah. in her bed. Do you know that actually is from a diary entry oh, that really? Julian Fellows found? That actually really happened, of, of course, to another character. But isn't that something? That's embarrassing. And, and that day... <laughs> Oh, he was so gorgeous, too. Oh, my good Lord. He was so gorgeous. But, you know, to have anyone die in your bed is, is a little embarrassing. So, <laughs> yeah. For you, not the dead bird. <laughs> All right. So let's get back to Sherlock Holmes because I need to talk about the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, sure. which is one of my favorite shows from England. And when I lived there in the 80s, Jeremy Brett, who I adore wonderful actor. He was actually in My Fair Lady, the, the movie. 
he actually sang On the Street Where You Live. And he, I felt that he personified in, in a classical tradition the ultimate Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. Thin, all this energy, very much like Benedict Cumberbatch. But it was so fabulous in the sets. It was so fabulous uh, uh, obeying all the storylines. And out of uh, Conan Doyle's 62 original stories, they did 42 Oh, of wow. Them. 42. In fact, it was so successful that Jeremy Brett and his counterparts took it on stage. And, uh, oh, he, he was a wonderful actor. Just wonderful. Yeah, actor. I, I'm just amazed with uh, British actors because they, they have a different uh, structure of how they learn to do the job. You know, they're, they're plugging out, you know, Shakespeare and stuff in, yeah. in school. Yeah. And, in a, you know, and... You know, Cumberbatch is able to blow through four pages of dialogue like it's butter, melted mm -hmm. butter. And but but in America, it just feels like it's a lot different. Like, you know, you uh, get a commercial and then you learn two lines and then you get another <laughs> commercial and you learn three lines. And, and then you go on Friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, there doesn't seem to be that same classical type training where mm. you walk into the room and you've already memorized the script. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. It, they just seem to have a, a much higher caliber because uh, they, I think they take the job seriously. And in America, nobody takes the job seriously unless you become famous doing it. Well, you know what I mean? That's true. That's an interesting point because I think they're not wowed in England. It's just a part of life. It's like, you know, a, a classical music is just a part of life in England. Mm -hmm. It's not scoffed at. Mm -hmm. You know, they look at country western and go, we're going to put it back there, way yeah. back there. Yeah. But, you know, it, we they grow up with it and they have this tradition of the national theater. You know, isn't it interesting that Benedict Cumberbatch, who comes from an acting family, mm. he's done Hamlet and he's done Con. In yeah. Star Trek, all right? And, you know, he's he's had it all with, with uh, Sherlock Holmes in the midst. I mean, he doesn't need to work anymore, does he? I mean, no, really. No, no, he can live on residuals the rest of his life. Did you guys know that in the Sherlock Holmes that he does, which I just I just adore, the people playing his parents are actually his parents? Oh, really? No. <laughs> really? And they're both actors. That's kind of funny. They are both actors. Oh, that was handy. Very well respected. And I kept thinking when I was watching that episode, I didn't know this. And I thought, you know, there's a there's a similarity. You could just see it, you know, in the faces. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I mean, I could imagine that meeting. Like, oh, who should we have play your parents? Well, my parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> and I have to say, everyone listening, um, I've got Matt Mickelson, my, my filmmaker, screenwriter, actor, my, my buddy here. We're talking about British TV series. We're talking about Star Wars, too, really, aren't we? Always. I mean, all the time. Well, but it, I, I it just, finds its way into anything. <laughs> I just have to tell everyone out there that he has the most wonderful T-shirt on, that quintessential English T-shirt, Keep Calm and Carry On. Stiff so up he's a lip. ready. Actually, there was a TV show called Carry On. Or no, the films, the Carry On films. Do you remember those guys? No. Well, that's going way back. That's going way back. And, you know, I asked my husband, who's British, of course, who what his favorite list of shows would be. And he was listing things like Dad's Army. Do you guys recall? Nope. Oh, it was, was fabulous. That like My Three Sons or I don't no, know. No, it was fabulous. It was during World War II when all these older men who didn't go to war were at home and they were trying to like hold down the front. And and they had this theme song about, you know, go ahead and try Germans, but you'll never get in. Mm -hmm. And and they did everything ridiculously bad. And it was hilarious. He also loved a wonderful show called The Last of the Summer Wine, which again is about three older gentlemen in a small little village 
who still think they're kids. And so they're constantly trying to do what kids do, like, well, let's build an airplane and maybe we can fly it. And it always fails, you know. Um, and then his one of his choices was Top Gear, the original Top, top yeah. Gear, which, you know, we all love cars in this room, don't we? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Doctor Who. Mm. Do we have any fans here of Doctor Who? Yeah, I I was fan of the Doctor Who with the big curly afro and the giant scarf that they had in the early 80s, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. Um, Oh, my God. There have been 12 men who've played Mm -hmm. Doctor Who and one woman now. Now, how did you watch it? PBS? Okay. Yeah, PBS uh, aired all the British stuff. Benny Hill, Doctor Who, and... Mm. um, and uh, Monty Python and, and uh, you know, because when I grew up, there were four channels. So. so that brings us around to the theme music we started the show with. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers. Which I did not understand nor watch when I was 10. So. <laughs> oh, Matt, you've got to make up for lost time. This is the best show perhaps in the world. It's voted number one uh, at the British Film Institute. I mean, uh, John Cleese and his then wife, Connie Booth, who stars in it, mm-hmm. they really got it. And as we talked about before, when um, the Pythons were filming a flying circus, they actually stayed in a hotel like this where nothing worked right. Oh, and neurotic, okay. eccentric hotelier who's run by his wife, who's a shrew. And he, of course, perpetrates all of this passive aggressiveness on everybody who works there. And everything goes wrong. Yeah. Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. Oh, my I God. I always just think of like a, a British competency, uh, like Terry Gilliam films. Mm-hmm. You know, how mm-hmm. how British life in Terry Gilliam films is always some kind of weird acid trip version of what it's like to live in Britain. <laughs> you know, where, 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 where you know, the, like uh, the beginning of, um, oh, God, what was that movie called? Terry Gilliam with the midgets and the, uh, oh, the little people. Um, oh, yeah. What was that? Time Bandits. Right. Yeah, Time Bandits. And I loved that. that, was, that I know, was a crazy, I know. But, crazy but film. The, the British family, they watched a game show where if you lost, they shot you. And they were they were happy to watch it, you know, like like they would put your cousin up there, and if you got the questions wrong, they'd take you know they'd shoot your cousin in different yeah. parts of their body until they were dead, and they enjoyed this. This is it's this is the future, according to, to say this to, is eccentric. And I thought Terry uh, Gilliam was British for the longest time because uh, he always American. did British themed. He movies. was the American in the he group. was the yeah. American. Yeah. Oh right no, now. that's right. He's from Monty Python. That's right. Yeah. Oh oh, oh yeah. It's all coming together for me now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> You've got to go back to Faulty Towers, though. You really, oh, really must. Yeah, yeah. Now that I, you know, have that sense of humor, I suppose. You it's, know. Per, it's almost perfection, really, in the idiocy. Mm-hmm. And the way John Cleese always puts it so well in interviews when he says, you know, it's so tough being English because you have to apologize for everything all the time. And when when you live there, everyone's always, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. Even when they're in the wrong. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just always the way. So that plays into the Faulty Towers so well. Yeah. And oh, they didn't make very many episodes, I think, um, uh, 12. I think. Oh, that's it. Yeah, really? it's it. And, but it's right. real perfection. Yeah, because I've been hearing, I hear about it all the time. I, I, you know, like it was on for ten years or something. Um, I don't know how long it was on, but it was it was in two shots. So three seasons. I think maybe? in no, it was two. All right. And for the first one uh, in '75, when Connie Booth and John Cleese were actually married, and then in '79 it came back for six more when they were divorced. 
but they still wrote it together. Oh. And um, and we can all remember Andrew Sachs, who played Manuel, who was always exhaustingly funny, always the butt of all the jokes, and mm. did all the dirty work for Basil Fawlty. I mean, but yeah, catch up on that, and then we'll talk. Well, there's also a, a lot of shows that were made in Britain that got copied over here. That's right. You know, the, the big one that people always talk about, of course, is The Office. You know, that's, that's, right. Right. that's easy. But mm-hmm. the, dating all the way back to the late 70s, uh, there were copies like All in the Family, uh, Three's wow. Company. They were they were copies from Three's Britain. Company. Yeah, it was called Men About the House. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that wouldn't go over now, would it? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the seventies too. You know, I mean, um, yeah, we could say anything then. And then, uh, and then, there's also um, uh, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Shameless was a British t- uh, British TV show. Veep. I remember the game show oh, was was right. was British. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, American Idol, of course, started as British. Oh, that's, that's right. That's and uh, yeah. uh, House of Cards. That's. Uh, yeah. You know, when I watched the original, and I didn't really like it that much. I th- that's one thing I think we bettered. Yeah. And maybe we bettered All in the Family as well. I mean, with Norman yeah. Lear in charge, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, they, they gave it a little bit more flavor, I, I would say. Um, <laughs> but uh, That's but interesting. The, the, uh, the BBC has a long history of being supported by its, its uh, consumer, mm-hmm. you know, like HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a mandatory tax, apparently, to get a television. A TV license. Yeah. So, but, but I mean, that shows in their programming, they're just not socking away the money. Every dime they get is on the screen, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. you could see on Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Um so is it a benefit? Yeah, I, I probably think so. No but you you look at our PBS and they're not a competitor of anybody's. No one considers them a, a, is that right? a threat or anything. No, not at all. Yeah, um, yeah. But BBC is, you know, every 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 uh, outlet in Europe is afraid of them, even even here. Absolutely. Because yeah, okay. they make good stuff. So so what about you – know. do you guys watch things like Inspector Morse and Midsummer Murders? Mm-mm. Inspector Morris I'll and, catch it occasionally. Is that like and Endeavor. I'm not regular on it. Yeah, oh, you'd love it. You yeah. you would actually love it. And the new series that's come out of it as a prequel is Endeavor, and it's really, really fantastic. I love Midsummer Murders because it's this little silly pastiche of this, yeah. this poor detective inspector who lives in a county where everybody's dying all the time, again, like up in Shetland Islands. But it's it's done with such a joy, but you'll you'll turn it on and it'll be the best actors in England yeah. playing these yeah. small parts. And everything's interwoven, kind of like Miss Marple and because well, they and go all vacation the on the coast and they can be in a show for two days <laughs> yeah. and then go back home. Now we haven't talked about Absolutely Fabulous, which at one point was the number yeah, one show. Yeah, that was huge in the early nineties. I think. Yes, Jennifer Saunders and Don it French. Was on MTV the or something? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I think that's how we got it. So irreverent. Joanna Lumley, Gen- Jennifer Saunders, uh, two upwardly mobile women who did nothing but have lunch, buy expensive clothes, and drink champagne until they were pie faced. Which was most and, of the show. Yeah. And then Jennifer Saunders always trying to stay slim and failing at it. Yeah. Some of the most hilarious, outrageous, unedited, ridiculous lines I've ever heard mm-hmm. in my life. They touched on everything. Every, every, oh my God. Anyway, it's it, it needs a look. Absolutely fabulous because it never gets old. And of course, there was a film that followed. It was yeah, not quite I'm as not sure good as... that went anywhere or there were didn't. enough fans around that, that remembered it, it or... It was so much better as just the show because I think it was small increments that worked, you know? So there you go. So have we talked enough? I think we're going to have, we're going to run out of time if I don't wrap you guys up now. Oh, well, I don't okay. want to do that. 
Matt. We could go on, you know. Well, okay, okay. <laughs> we Hold that on. thought. We'll carry on. Matt Mickelson, oh, thank you for being on the show oh, again. Thanks I for having love me. this. We need an hour show, don't we? I think so, yes. Okay, go away and watch Faulty Towers. And this is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on center stage.